welcome to the Dr. Christian Heim podcast, where we're living for preventative mental health, love and compassion. Here we are again. I'm Caroline Heim and here's Dr. Christian Heim. Hello, everyone. And today we continue our series, Negotiating Diversity with Insights from Science and Clinical Psychiatry. In this episode, we're going to look at some really fascinating research by two recent thinkers who may help you to understand how you do life and how others around you do life a little bit more. If you like these podcasts, please subscribe, spread the word and recommend them to others. And Christian and I will be having some chats to try and get to the bottom of some of these ideas along the way. Edward T. Hall's theories help us to understand and accept others by seeing that differences are cultural rather than personal. If we can begin to understand and accept these cultural differences, then we can begin to understand and accept the growing diversity in our society. We move on to two other researchers in this area, Fons Trompenar and Gert Hofstede. What we learn from Edward T. Hall is to look at difference non-judgmentally. His research method was, by and largely, scientific, empirical. He observed behaviours and recorded the differences we saw. One way is not better than the other, they're different, and both can be accepted. Gert Hofsted. Gert Hofsted, 1928-2020, was a social psychologist and professor of anthropology who developed new theories to help further understand cultural difference. Like Hall, his ideas and research have helped international business relationships, but can also be used to help us get along as people. His six-dimension model of cultural difference includes 1. Respect for authority, Hofstede's power distance index, 2. Tolerance of ambiguity, uncertainty avoidance, 3. Individualism versus collectivism, 4. Masculine versus feminine, 5. Old-fashioned versus new-fashioned, long-term versus short-term orientation, 6. Desire gratification, indulgence versus restraint. They are somewhat self-explanatory, and they afford us more insight into how different we humans around the globe really are. Respect for authority is the extent to which people accept societal hierarchy, including family authority figures. Higher respect for authority, according to Hofstede, is found in Africa, Asia and Latino countries, whereas lower respect for authority is found in German and English-speaking countries. One way is not better than the other, they are just different. Ha! And then, of course, there are countries such as Australia populated by British convicts that have an extreme distrust of authority. Yes, there are. And the thing is that obviously what uh, Hofstede does is to look at things as though it was one or the other. But it's all a continuum and it's all actually very complex and very interesting because Australia is part of Asia. And yet, as you said, it's been colonised by the British. So it will have something of both. So when it comes to uh, respect for authority... Um, you will have a bit of a contempt for authority because that's part of the history rather than just the ideas that Hofstede is working in. Okay. So it does get more complex. It does, it does. Okay. Tolerance of ambiguity is the extent to which a society accepts new ideas into their mainstream thinking. Tolerance of ambiguity, according to Hofstede, is higher in English-speaking Chinese and Nordic countries, but lower in Eastern European, Latino and Germanic countries and in Japan. Individualism versus collectivism is the extent to which people identify with the self or with the group. Hofstede sees that Western countries tend towards higher individualism. Asian and developing countries tend towards collective identity, with Japan taking a middle position. Masculine versus feminine is the extent to which a society holds on to traditional gender role differences. According to Hofstede, 
Masculine-feminine differences are higher in Japan, Germanic and Latino countries, moderate in Western countries and lowest in Scandinavia. Ooh, this is a bit of a contentious one, especially with the gender is fluid debate at, that's going on at the moment. Do you think we could talk about this in contemporary media anymore? Or Well, I include it here because uh, this theory was put together maybe about 25 years ago. Okay. And uh, perhaps people wouldn't talk about it today, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Uh, what Hochsted saw was that there was differences in our attitudes towards masculine and feminine, and uh, the more liberal countries, let's say the Western countries, uh, have this idea of fluid. But there would be some countries that are resistant to the idea of uh, fluidity between uh, male and feminine. That's in line with Hofstede's uh, theory, actually. Okay, good. All right. Old versus new-fashioned is the extent to which a society clings to traditions versus changing with the times. As always, no value judgment is intended. According to Hofstede, East Asian and Eastern European countries are old-fashioned, English-speaking Latin, African and Muslim countries are relatively new-fashioned, and Southeast Asia and North and South Europe are in the middle. I have to speak a little bit to this idea that no value judgment is intended, because when we hear things like this, uh, the emotional side of us goes, oh, oh, where am I? Mm. What idea do I have? Mm -hmm. Okay, Uh, And we tend to think that what we ourselves think is better. But... Everybody in the world thinks that way. So when we're all in a continuum and we're trying to look at things just a little bit more objectively, it is difficult. But quite sincerely, in Hofstede's um, research, no value judgment is actually intended. He's just describing what he sees. He's just documenting. He's just documenting. Okay, yeah, good. Desire gratification is the extent to which society encourages fun, pleasure and instant gratification rather than value the strict social and moral norms which delay gratification. According to Hofstede, the Americas and Western Europe tend towards desire gratification. Eastern Europe, Asia and the Middle East tend towards restraint and a middle position is found in Mediterranean Europe. In Hofstede's ideas, we see how cultural dimensions are like personality traits. We could ask the same questions of any person. Where do you stand in regards to respect for authority, tolerance of ambiguity or need for desire gratification? As we understand and accept that other people are simply expressing their personality rather than being nasty jerks, we can adopt the same attitude to help us understand and accept people of different cultures or diverse groups. And this introduces the idea that each culture has a personality. And so it's it's not fixed, it's uh, changing and developing and it's vibrant. And just as when we get to know a new person, uh, our brain goes, oh, this is something new. How do I try to sort this out? The same thing happens with a new culture. If you find yourself in another country or amongst a different group of people, your brain will be going, okay, I've got to figure out what's actually going on here. And that's exciting as well as sometimes frustrating. Would you stop interrupting? (laughs) Any of these issues can become a stress on mental health. As an example, I'll relate a serious situation in which I was involved. A father who migrated from a war-torn country to Australia had locked himself in a house and was threatening to kill himself because his daughter refused to stop dating an Australian male. This was an acute cultural crisis. He did not have a mental illness, yet he was suicidal. With understanding, the situation was resolved peacefully and with a long-term good outcome. It involved all six of Hofstede's cultural dimensions. Old versus new fashion. The father could not accept the new-fashioned ideas of the Australian dating culture. 
masculine versus feminine. The father came from a culture where these roles were very much more clearly demarcated than they are in Australia. Tolerance of ambiguity. The father came from a culture where rules and cultural norms were relatively unambiguous and he expected them to be adhered to. Desire gratification. Australian culture emphasised instant gratification, whereas the father's culture did not. Individual versus collectivism. To the father, his daughter was clearly thinking more of herself than the collective good of the family. This contributed to his crisis. And respect for authority. The daughter, much more aligned to the Australian culture of her birth, did not see authority in the same way as her father did. Generational conflict was also a factor, as younger generations have much more liberal ideas than the older. When the crisis was over, knowing these cultural dimensions helped discuss the issues so that understanding and acceptance could be reached. The situation was ameliorated by framing it in terms of cultural clashes rather than personal clashes. This helped not to undermine or underappreciate the strong love which was in the family. Take-home message. Just as people have different personalities, whole cultures can have different personalities and they can clash. So can this also be just for different families too, not just different cultures. Families often have unspoken rules and when people get married, they're often surprised by differences in their partner, such as eating around the dinner table, as, as an example. Well, just as an example, right. some people just tuck straight in while others wait till everyone's ready. I guess that sort of could tie in with Hofstede's gratification discourse. Yeah? Uh, yes, it does. And uh, what we will find when we look at all three of these theorists is that a lot of their research converges. Uh, into some specific uh, differences. But obviously I've used an extreme example so, to make it crystal clear that all six of these um, uh, cultural dimensions were involved. But they all are at work in all of us, all of the time, in a really small scale. And it's just a little bit annoying here and there. And the idea is that if we understand what's going on, it makes it much easier to accept and just to chill around other people that just happen to be different in things including table manners and eating. Yep, true. Okay, we're going to move on now to Fons Trompenaar. Fons Trompenaar is a Dutch management consultant and cross-cultural author. His model of cultural difference holds five dimensions of personal interrelating plus one dimension relating to time and one to the environment. Rules versus relationships, the individual versus the group, expressing feelings, involvement, according status, managing time and relating to nature. Rules versus relationships. This is like Hall's task versus people orientated distinction. According to Trompenaar, English and German speaking countries prioritise tasks, rules and facts over people relationships, whereas Latino, Asian and Eastern European countries emphasise people over tasks. I think this is so important as to whether a person is a rule person or not. I'm very much a rule person. So even personal rules such as I always have my dinner at 6.30 can really cause conflict with some people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in fact, this is this is one that, uh, particularly in our society, uh, we come across a lot, but it's just not articulated. And if we could articulate just this one thing, that there are some people who are more task-orientated and there are some people that are more people-orientated, uh, I think we'd get on much better, particularly if we could see that, you know, one's not better than the other, but they are different and these things are culturally informed and ingrained in us since our childhood. So even if you try to change these things, 
It's actually very difficult. Okay? Yeah. But being aware of it means we can we can actually have fun with it too. Yeah. And it's also the reaction to it. It's our reaction to it. It actually reminds me, uh, there's this great line from the end of the play, Hedda Gabler by Ibsen, that I teach my in my theatre history classes. Yeah. Which is, um, a Judge Brack, uh, actually, Hedda actually does suicide at the end of it. And um, the last line is by Judge Brack and he says, but people don't do such things. Yes. Yeah. And there's something inside each of us that says, oh, People don't do such things or people mm. shouldn't do such things. Yes, it's the right? shouldn't, isn't it's it? It's the shouldn't. Yeah. Because what we tend to do is project our ideas and our values onto everybody else, right? As if the whole world should live the way that we believe that they mm. should. Well, we need to remember that there are 7 billion other people that are doing basically the same thing, mm. right? And if we could just be aware of this and understand it, it would already make it much easier for us to accept each other and our differences. True. The individual versus the group. This is the same as Hofstede's individualism versus collectivism. According to Trompenard, English-speaking countries emphasise the individual, whereas other countries emphasise the group much more. Expressing feelings. Some cultures value emotional reserve. Others express feelings freely, talk loudly and greet each other with great enthusiasm. This is related to Hall's ideas of personal space and high and low context cultures. Open emotional expression takes up space and is more acceptable in low context cultures. People of high context cultures keep more distance and keep emotions more to themselves. Trombonaz sees the UK, Germany and Nordic countries as emotionally reserved and Latin countries and Eastern Europeans as emotionally expressive. Involvement. People of some cultures are highly involved with each other. They share their lives with many people. People of other cultures tend to share their lives with less people and guard their privacy. High context cultures keep distance and guard privacy. People of low context cultures are more involved with each other. According to Trompenaz, less involved are the UK, the USA, Germany and the Netherlands, and more involved are China, India and Latino countries. According status. In some cultures, status is based on achievement rich business person, academic, or a decorated military person. In others, status is based on people who are family elder, chief of tribe, member of nobility. Achievement status, Trompenard says, is seen in English, Germanic, and Scandinavian countries, whereas who you are status is found more in Asian and Latino countries. Managing time. Some cultures plan, have deadlines, and manage time without wasting it. They value punctuality. Others have a more flexible approach to time and priorities. This mirrors Hall's task versus people-orientated people. Relating to the environment. Industrialised countries tend to control and dominate their environment, whereas others, particularly indigenous cultures, flow in harmony with it. As in each of Trompenard's dimensions, this is on a continuum. Again, any of these issues can contribute to mental illness. I've seen this, particularly in migrants to Australia who are not honoured even though they are over 80, according status, don't get to see their grandchildren as much as they want and don't understand why, involvement, miss their connection to mountains or a particular lake, relating to nature, express feelings freely and are shunned for it, expressing feelings, wonder why nobody wants to visit them, rules versus relationships. Each of these culture-based situations can lead to clinical depression. Second and third generation migrants naturally take on more of the values of the new country, whereas direct immigrants tend to keep more of their previous culture. First generation Australians, like myself, are in a middle ground with this. 
Knowing the issues can help families across generations understand these things as cultural difference rather than as personal hurts. Take home message. Trumpenar articulated diverse cultural issues. Rules versus relationships, individual versus group, the expression of feelings, involvement with others, according status, managing time and relating to the environment. Okay, but isn't this also a bit of a generational thing? Do you think we're getting more generic in our global village and these distinctions are breaking down more? I don't know if we're getting more generic, but we are seeing these distinctions break down. But in the people that I treat, and I must say, particularly the older people I treat, these are the kind of issues that come up. And it makes the difference between treating depression, let's say, with a medication, is not going to do too much about how much you see the grandchildren or about people honouring you because you are now 80. So addressing those things, sometimes with the family, sometimes just in a conversation so that people understand what's going on and have a listening ear so that somebody can see that things are just different in this country. Often that helps. But yes, it's a generational issue as well because there's a lot of these things that we've talked about here that are much less of an issue to younger generations. True. However, the overall... (laughs) There's always more, isn't there? (laughs) There's always more. The overall message is what these researchers are doing, uh, they're articulating and documenting difference. Mm. And the idea that I want to get across is that as human beings, we just are very different. So the older generations, this is more important to them. The younger generations, it's less important. That's a difference. And if we understand that difference and acknowledge that difference, then it'll make it much easier for us to get along as people. Okay, great. From culture to diversity. Hall, Hofstede and Trompenar articulated much of our cultural diversity. Their research has been useful for doing business across the world, but it is also useful to help us understand each other and get on as people. Their work concentrated on culture. Our current diversity is more complex, but the principle is still the same. We people are very, very different, and these differences can and do lead to clashes. This can be understood and accepted. Some see Hall's insights as outdated. Hofstede and Trompenar are researchers who disagree amongst themselves. The strength of their research, however, is in noticing and articulating differences that otherwise would go unnoticed. This helps us understand and accept that differences need to be negotiated. I use their insights to help bring about good outcomes in my clinical work. Across the world, cultural diversity exists in styles of clothing, cooking, housing, furniture, music, art, sporting preferences and more. We tend to enjoy the variety, spicy Indian food and less spicy traditional English, extravagant Argentine music and noble traditional Korean music, chunky German furniture and thin, fine French. And the Brazilian open attacking (laughs) Far out. Okay, here we go and the Brazilian open attacking soccer style, as well as the defensive Italian catenaccio. Many other cultural differences exist, which are not part of this discussion. Attitudes to leisure, happiness, health, help-seeking, money, the government, the place of religion, the influence of science, justice issues, and more. Many differences are breaking down, but many are becoming more demarcated as people aim to keep their identity amidst a sea of rapid social change. Our society can, I entrust, encompass both. All can be embraced and accepted if they are known and understood. Take-home message, with understanding differences can be accepted. When it comes to people interactions, however, we tend to be less tolerant. 
We react emotionally and negatively when things do not suit us. Negotiating others is a very complex issue, particularly in growing diversity. Many of us, individually and collectively, tend to take things personally. Relationship building, sense of self and even safety are at stake in social situations. So when we feel uncomfortable, we take cultural diversity difference as threats without trying enough to understand what's going on. But things will change with time. People who migrated to Australia usually have genuine friendships only within their own ethnic cultural group. First generation Australians already have more friends outside their ethnic cultural heritage. They may need to switch gears when dealing across cultures. To second and third generation Australians, the whole issue of cultural ethnicity is hardly relevant. This is a healthy change that happens with time. Yeah, I just want to comment on that because this is a healthy thing that we see among younger people. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the culture wars that are going on, people are sort of going, look, what's the big deal? Yeah. Why can't we just let people be people? And that's very healthy. And in a sense, that's what we're trying to do. True. After much guidance and conversation, the father who could not tolerate his daughter dating an Australian male could begin to understand and accept. Ongoing heartache, conflict and even tragedy were averted. This was a good outcome. Imagine now having to negotiate differences not only in cultural ethnicity, but also in sexual expression. What if his daughter declared she was a lesbian? And gender expression. What if his son declared he was non-binary? Religious beliefs. What if his wife decided to change away from the family religion? Political beliefs, what if, dot, dot, dot. Age and socioeconomic differences, what if, dot, dot, dot. And also in the nuances of people with health-related or mental illness issues. He himself had to face the possibility of having a mental illness and accept that. This is a situation for all of us today. It is complex, but the principle is the same. Understand to help accept. Take home message. With growing understanding, we can accept our growing diversity. Beginning to accept diversity. Diversity is nothing more than an extension of cultural difference which evolved in response to differences in our physical environments. Just as cultural difference arose out of environmental, biological, psychological and social factors, so too do other diverse identities. Imagine a Tower of Babel that confounded not only language and culture, but also sexual and gender expressions, religion, political ideologies, and more. Scientifically, it all grew out of our cognitive and behavioural responses to differing environments. The goal of our striving to build a Tower of Babel is to get on with each other in peace. To reach this heaven, we need to cultivate understanding which leads to acceptance. Oh, the Tower of Babel is such a good example because in many ways, that's what's happened over the last five years. Sexual and gender differences, political differences, race differences, all suddenly mixed up together and people don't know how to negotiate it and they just sit there and scream. Well, that's right. And uh, the good thing about the Tower of Babel is that if we could all work together, okay, we could actually build a tower towards something like heaven. And heaven in this situation would be us actually getting on peacefully. Yeah, but I think it's also the speed with it, with the way yeah, the, yeah. The, the world's really evolving yeah. so quickly. And it's yeah. sort of like, how do I negotiate? What, 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 what? You okay, know? that's actually a, um, a very pertinent factor because uh, things are happening so fast. And this mm. is because of uh, the internet and social media that change is happening so fast that we don't get a time to catch our breath and actually negotiate some of the difference before we move on just a little more. And that is actually compounding the problem. Yeah, so true. 
Hall, Hofstede and Trompenard left us with 16 dimensions on which to understand cultural difference. Hall, diverse attitudes to personal space, diverse attitudes to task versus people orientation, high and low context cultures, knowing the right thing to do. Hofstede, respect for authority, tolerance of ambiguity, individualism versus collectivism, masculine versus feminine, old versus new fashioned, desire gratification. Trompenard, rules versus relationships, the individual versus the group, expressing feelings, involvement, according status, managing time, relating to nature. This is the cultural diversity we scientifically understand. Understanding can help us accept. Aside from culture, however, there are many more types of diversity. Sexual expression, gender expression, religion, age, political persuasion, health-related, mental illness and various abilities, socioeconomic. If it took three researchers four decades to articulate 16 dimensions for one type of diversity, getting to understand all these diverse groups will take several lifetimes. That sounds like a light bulb joke. <laughs> I suppose it does. This information about culture is understood and accepted in the business world, but not enough through society in general. Understanding and accepting greater diversity is further off. To our rescue can come science and understanding the workings of the brain in trust, empathy, belief and social connection. We all have brains and are all members of the one group, the human race. In this we can look to our unity as well as our diversity. The science of how the brain naturally helps us understand to accept each other will be explored next chapter. The choice of whether or not to focus on and apply this science is up to us collectively and as individuals. And so stay tuned for the next episode where we delve into the brain. Always lots of fun. Do you enjoy these podcasts? Navigate to the Dr. Christian Heim website and look at our blogs, YouTube clips, books and forthcoming events. We so enjoy your company and we'll catch you next time.